The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to our podcast, The Tactical Take, where we discuss our thoughts on the markets, highlighting the opportunities and risks that we see in the current environment, and how we're positioned in the tactical sleeves of the Natixis models to reflect this backdrop. My name is Jack Janisiewicz, Portfolio Manager and Lead Portfolio Strategist with Natixis Investment Manager Solutions, and I lead the Natixis Investment Manager Solutions Investment Committee. The bond vigilantes are back. It seems like all of the excitement is in the bond market these days. The bondoleros are pushing yields back out to their wides and the market's taking notice. Okay, but first things first. It seems like everyone is now shifting their outlooks. Recession is no longer what all the cool kids are saying. One by one, the recessionistas are moving away from their doom and gloom calls and shifting to a soft landing narrative. There are a few holdouts who are shifting their goalposts yet again and still giving you the just-you-wait bear case, but for the most part, the economic outlooks are getting revised higher. And if we just look at the data releases in July, we get a solid glimpse into the health of the economy, and more specifically, the health of the labor market. Remember, the key to our economic outlook resides in the strength of the labor market. And as we've said repeatedly, unless we see a market deterioration of the jobs market, it's tough to see a meaningful deceleration in the economy. With consumption driving almost 70% of the U.S. growth backdrop, if the average person has a job and an income, it's tough to expect them not to spend money. So let's do a quick review of a few key economic prints from this past month. Let's start with the ISM print. Services continued to remain resilient while the headline number on manufacturing was bad. Let's first review the manufacturing side. We tend to focus a bit more on the subcomponents for ISM as they provide more insight into the overall headlines. New orders were up versus last month. Order backlogs were up too. We've talked repeatedly about the inventory cycle bottoming out and how this was a headwind flip to a tailwind. Employment showed some softness, but more importantly, the prices paid component continued to slip lower, hovering close to post-pandemic lows. It's important to note that while there has certainly been some weakness in manufacturing thanks to the bullwhip effect finally working its way through the good side of the economy, none of the current hard data has been aligning with the weakness of the headline manufacturing PMI. Sentiment surveys versus hard data. Just look around. Manufacturing employment is on the rise, steel production's ticking higher, auto manufacturing keeps pushing higher, and there's a boom underway in manufacturing construction spending. You don't build factories unless you plan to make things in them. PMIs capture direction, not magnitude, and there's increasing evidence PMIs may be getting bullwhipped as well. On the services side, prices paid softened as well compared to last month. Directionality here, people, it's heading lower. And while prices paid push lower, activity in production and new orders ticked higher. The best of both worlds. So all in all, yes, the ISM manufacturing and services surveys weren't great, but the internals suggest they're better than the headlines. And the hard data continues to hold up. The forward-looking components remain resilient, with indications that employment is softening and prices are coming down. That smells like a soft landing. In checking in on the labor market... ADP and payrolls? First of all, ADP wage data is likely far more reliable than their job growth estimates. ADP has historically shown very little relation with forecasting the direction of payrolls, and yet the market keeps reacting to the ADP release. And right on cue, 
ADP printed a whopper of a number showing job growth of 497,000. And 24 hours later, the payroll report showed a softer-than-anticipated job ads of 209,000. Zig and zag, and the two just didn't sync up. One important piece in the ADP data is worth highlighting, though, wage growth. ADP has shown softness in wages persisting for more than three quarters now. Job switchers have seen their wage gains slow from a peak of 16.3% to 11.2%. And job stayers have seen their wage growth slow from a high of 7.8% to 6.4%. Still strong, but moving in the right direction, and that's what's important. In payrolls, the headline print showed the U.S. economy added 209,000 jobs versus market expectations of 230,000. And to add insult to injury, last month's print was revised lower by 33,000 ads. If one looks at private payrolls and strips out government hiring, the economy added only 149,000 jobs, well short of the 259,000 we saw last month. Government hiring really isn't a good proxy for cyclical hiring, hence why you can make the case to ignore it. The market seems to be laser-focused on one thing and one thing only, average hourly earnings. And a few things to take note of on this front. Average hourly earnings came in a bit warm versus expectations. Looking at the three-month annualized rate, it gets us to a 4.66% growth rate, not exactly compatible with a core inflation rate of 2%. But dissecting the report, we see that service wage growth cooled relative to the previous month. The recent strength in average hourly earnings was more attributed to the manufacturing side of the equation. Indications of the good side of the economy beginning to ramp back up? Something we are paying attention to, a shift back towards a more normal balance between goods and services as the post-pandemic binge on vacations and entertainment normalizes. On the plus side, more evidence of service sector wage pressures easing. Small victories, but they are adding up. Any way you cut it, the trend appears to be lower for average hourly earnings in the service sector. The service segment of the labor economy is seeing softening in wage growth. Maybe not as fast as the market would like, but with the Fed intently focused on wage growth in the services sector, this might provide a bit of comfort as the marginal improvement continues to move in the right direction. And what about inflation? After a notably soft CPI print in May under the surface, June delivered a soft print however you slice it for both core and headline. Out a few decimal points and core inflation fell to 4.829%, while headline fell to 2.969%. That's right, a 2% handle on headline CPI for the first time since March of 2021, as core fell to the lowest level since October of 2021. Disinflation continues to intensify ahead of expectations, a trend that is likely to persist. As we've stated in the past, the greater risk now is that the pace of disinflation is faster than the consensus currently appreciates. Yes, core inflation remains too high right now, but we're likely decelerating into a new range of 0.2% prints. And for listeners doing the math at home, that annualizes to a 2.4% pace. Start stringing those together and you can make a lot of progress towards 2% pretty quickly. And somehow, after over two years of discussing shelter costs and their inherent lags, people still don't understand the driving forces behind it or conveniently ignore it to push their narratives regardless. Rents surged as a result of an explosion of household formation and lack of supply. 
Household formation has flatlined for the past year and a half, and we have a record number of multifamily housing units under construction that should keep shelter costs in check, potentially for the next few years. And as supply is finally improved, we could very well continue to see slowly slowing nominal growth as inflation falls faster than real growth picks up. Back to the details of the inflation print, there was hardly anything not to like about this print. Food prices remain benign, energy prices remain tame as utility costs continue to fall, more support for real incomes, household furnishings were still in deflation, apparel prices were calm, used car prices fell only modestly after a few months of strong advances, while the deflation pipeline continues to grow based on wholesale auction prices. New car prices fell as well as production continues to ramp. Shelter continued its rapid decline, and airfare and rental cars each saw large declines. In fact, the only fly on the ointment was motor vehicle insurance and maintenance and repair, which contributed nearly six basis points to the headline figure. Put these two line items together with shelter, and that was the entire advance for the month. And remember, motor vehicle insurance and repairs are a function of vehicle prices. Falling vehicle prices will eventually filter into lower insurance premiums. Wherever you looked in this print, there was good news. And this now brings us back to the Fed. The July meeting followed expectations to a T. A 25 basis point hike, QT continued unchanged, and hardly any changes to the statement. The press conference was more of the same. Inflation's coming down, but there's more work to be done, and everything is still on the table. Data dependence, flexibility, and optionality is the name of the game. Press play, rewind, press play, rewind. A 25 basis point hike had been basically a lock for some time now, and there was very little risk of a surprise on that front. Growth is holding up just fine. Labor markets continue coming into balance, and inflation is moderating but needs to slow further. If they need to do anything more, they will, but as usual, the data will dictate further decisions. What else is Chair Powell supposed to say? Perhaps the only piece of new news that came from the July meeting was that the Fed staff no longer expects a recession. But even that shouldn't have been much of a surprise for anyone tracking the data. The pathway to a soft landing is still very much there, and it remains Powell's base case. And the data is consistent with that outlook. If anything, the pathway is growing wider. In the final stages of the inflation battle, the Fed will lean on the duration lever by holding policy in restrictive territory, thus pausing well before 2% is accomplished. But as inflation convincingly and durably moves back towards 2%, the dual mandate will come back into balance and warrant modest easings back to a neutral policy stance. In other words, a mid-cycle adjustment. In short, hikes will stop well before 2% is reached, and even cuts occur before 2%. Otherwise, you run the risk of overshooting. Markets have grown accustomed to escalator up, elevator down on hiking cycles, and forget that the other potential outcome is the 1994-1995 playbook. This is what a soft landing looks like, and rates markets look appropriately priced for that outcome. So, what is the market telling us? The Treasury curve saw a pretty nice bear steepener, with the long end selling off faster than the short end. But even more interesting, the market's perception of the Fed's terminal rate is barely budged. The market's been calling for a terminal rate of 5.4%, and it's been pinned at that rate for almost all of July. So with all the hoopla and noise coming from the move in the curve in the data, the market didn't change its Fed view for the remainder of this year. If anything, it's embraced the higher for longer mantra as the number of rate cuts expected in 2024 dropped. So what did change for 2023? 
the market continues to price out the odds for a recession. If we decompose the move in nominal rates into inflation expectations and real rates, the combination of these two factors should back us into nominal rates. And what did we see? The move higher in nominal rates has been exclusively driven by real rates. And ironically, long-term inflation expectations is measured using break-evens barely budged. So what's this telling us? If inflation break-evens are heading nowhere and real rates are going higher, it must be that growth expectations are firming. Those bears are finally throwing in the towel and backing off their recession calls. And this is causing real rates to rise. The market is continuing to slowly fade the recession outlook. At least that's what the bond market is saying. Now, to be clear, we did see an uptick in break-evens towards the end of the month. But this was largely a function of the move in oil prices more so than anything else. So the bottom line, the recent move in the Treasury market to us is a function of the improved growth outlook and not inflation. And one more point to make, interest rates tend to move in lockstep with growth. But more specifically, nominal interest rates move in lockstep with nominal growth. What are we seeing today? Inflation is falling faster than growth is slowing. This means that while we're slowly slowing from a nominal growth perspective, real growth is actually accelerating. There is a narrative working its way through the market right now that stronger growth, or in this case, stronger growth is more a function of the market repricing out their recession odds, will likely lead to higher rates. But this doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Yes, we might see a near-term uptick in nominal growth by year-end, but we doubt that this bounce persists into 2024. We certainly expect nominal growth to ease, hence our slowly slowing description. And like we highlighted, nominal rates are a function of nominal growth. So if the long-term nominal growth prospects are softening, then we have a hard time making the case for nominal 10-year rates moving aggressively higher from here. To remind you, it's nominal growth that matters for rates, not real growth. And the fact that the market has not repriced its terminal rate for the Fed higher, that tells you something as well. So where do we stand today with our outlook on the markets? With the most recent push higher in the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury bond probing the 4% yield to maturity mark, a pause or a modest pullback in risk assets at these levels would certainly not surprise us. Technical indicators point towards an overbought market, while the move higher on yields is creating some investor angst. And seasonals are not helping matters either. Looking at the last 10 pre-election years, an average composite of S&P 500 returns shows that the market tends to peak in July and bottom in late August. Combining an overbought market with seasonal headwinds and higher rates is certainly a recipe for some profit-taking. But profit-taking or something more concerning? First of all, let's be clear. The market is exhibiting signs consistent with the trend that should continue. More specifically, we view any weakness in August as a pullback in an uptrend. A few observations worth noting. Credit spreads continue to remain well-behaved. Both investment-grade and high-yield spreads have made new post-pandemic lows with high-yield spreads tightening relative to investment-grade during the period. Looking at the most recent month's performance, the defensive segments of the market underperformed the broad benchmark index. Healthcare, real estate, staples, and utilities all lagged with the cyclical sectors outpacing. Energy, financials, and materials all posted strong gains while industrials modestly lagged the broader cyclical complex. And looking across the cap spectrum, small caps outperformed large caps for both growth and value. As we mentioned last month, market breadth tends to catch up rather than prices catching down when narrow leadership becomes a theme. The market leadership we're currently witnessing coupled with the expanding breadth is certainly not something that screams a reversal in the uptrend. 
Rather, it appears more like a pullback to us. With the bond market seemingly pricing in an improving growth outlook that is a reflection of declining recession odds, this should prove to be a positive for the earnings backdrop going forward. However, the bond vigilantes seem to want to equate stronger growth with higher inflation. We're certainly seeing the disinflationary impulses picking up with plenty more still in the pipeline. Just look at the real-time data for shelter costs and used car prices, for example. In addition, China's PPI and CPI continues to plunge, with lower prices expected to be exported to the rest of the world. With the labor market continuing to show signs of normalization, there is a path where we could see a modest softening in growth accompanied with a modest slowing in inflation. Slowly slowing nominal growth, but a marginal acceleration of real growth. We highlight this possibility as the market seems convinced that modestly stronger growth means inflation heading back higher and hence higher rates. And we're not so sure about that trajectory. What do we do this month? Nothing. Sat tight. No changes. Short and sweet. To wrap up the podcast, The Tactical Take, this is Jack Chanasiewicz. Hope you enjoyed the commentary and thanks for listening. Important information for listeners outside the United States. Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcasts disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult imnatixis.com slash intl slash podcasts and other media. Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis Investment Managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis Investment Managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments, do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies. Collectively Natixis, such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds or other financial products. Provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888 Boylston Street, Boston, MA02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Managers Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers, LLC. Natixis Advisors, LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC POD 37 July, 
2023 expiration date, March 31, 2024 at tracks, 5870583, 1, 1.